Herb Alpert in the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this is Fangraphs Audio. It's without exaggeration or hesitation that I say right now that we, as a baseball community, are lucky to have someone like Sam Miller writing for us. Sam Miller, in case you don't know, writes about the Angels for the Orange County Register. He also, fortunately, is the guest on today's edition of Fangraphs Audio. With the recent signings of both Albert Poulos and C.J. Wilson, there's clearly a lot to discuss apropos the Angels. I certainly asked Sam about both of those transactions, with particular emphasis on how the acquisition of Albert Pujols affects the Angels at both first base and DH. Also covered, why never to write a novel. It's good information for maybe 3 to 5% of our dedicated listeners. And what effects the new Angels television contract will or will not have on the team in the near and uh, less than near future. In only slightly related news, allow me to invite you, if you're the sort of person who enjoys the podcast, to visit the podcast's home on iTunes, give it a five-star rating, and write a brief, heartfelt review of Same. That's essentially like giving us a donation, although if you want to give us an actual donation, then you can do that too. While you're writing that checkout, though, uh, please do consider listening to this conversation with the OC Register Sam Miller on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. Have you, uh, have you given $5 to Louis C.K. yet? What is that? Oh, for his... Uh, d- did he just release... Yeah, just about two days ago. Okay. I was actually just today uh, Google chatting with, uh, do you know Matthew Corey from? Of course. Okay. Matty Matt 2000. Yeah, Matty Matt 2000. And we were we were talking about the comedy jokes. And he's like, did you, do you have, um, did you buy the, the, uh, the special yet? And I, had, I hadn't, but I have no, I'm not averse to doing so. I just haven't, hadn't done yet. Yeah. I keep uh, I check YouTube about once a week to see if there's any Carson Sestouli stand up on there yet, but you so shouldn't far do that. No, you shouldn't do that. Well, it's well, not going to be on there for the first for first of all, and second of all, second of all, it wouldn't. Um, you might get a chuckle out of it, and you might get also the sort of chuckle that I wouldn't want you to have, which is like, look at that moron. Um, and so you have two different types of chuckles from it, but. I think it's the sort of thing where it's probably best off for anyone who's interested in doing stand-up that they don't record themselves for a while. Right. Because you could be funny, but I feel like you want to give yourself that uh, room to find your onstage persona. Yes. Like, uh, so I don't know. Uh, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of Larry the Cable Guy, but who, uh, whatever that comedian's actual name is, that it's escaping me at the moment. There's video of him before he became Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah. And I assume that's annoying for him. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so you're worried that your uh, accent to come will not seem authentic. Right. And, yeah, but it doesn't it also doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be like a huge over the top personality. Carson, I know. I know what you mean. I don't I don't uh, I mean, I don't begrudge you that point. What I'm saying is that um, if I lived in Madison, Madison Wisconsin, and you were performing somewhere, I would like to go and see it and support you. And I don't live in Madison, Wisconsin, so all I can do is um, try to see you on the Internet. Given that it's not on the Internet, that's fine. I, I look because I'm interested. Yeah. So. 
I mean, I'm a big time guy. You know, I'm a big time guy, <laughs> yeah. and I, you know, I like to control. I like to control my online reputation. Are you? Are you? Uh, are you still palling around with uh, with the common man? And uh, was it Jack Moore? Was that yeah, well, yeah, Jackie Moore. Yeah, they both live here. Are you yeah, guys? Uh, are you guys still a, a crew? Well, I don't know about crew. We see each other occasionally. The common man recently had a child, a second child, by his wife. <laughs> and so he's uh, – that's certainly occupying his time. Jackie Moore is just – he's everywhere. He writes for like you know, six different sites So uh, besides yeah. Fangraphs. So he's, he's busy in his own right. He's adjusting to that period right after college that happens when you, you realize that you're going to die probably soon. If you don't, you know, if you don't work or take care. Did you, did you have a post-college? Do you have, do you have post-college fears, or were you taken care of? I had uh, I had post-college anxiety for sure. It's uh, I think that the lack of uh, consistent and precise feedback is a is an extremely stressful thing for young people to go through. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it's also the thing. Uh, and to his credit. Jackie, I think because he was both like a mathematics and also an economics major, and I think there's probably a good chance that if he had tried, he could have found uh, gainful employment um, at a, a at a definitely a respectable wage. But I don't think that he he I don't think he liked where that would have gone. Interesting. Yeah. So I think that he said, "I want to try. I want to write for as long as it's practical, and mm-hmm. uh, hopefully for his sake, it's practical for a while." You know. So that's that. That's the story yep. behind that. I should say I'm talking with Sam Miller of the Orange County Register. Sam Miller covers the Angels for the OC Register and is uh, in his welcome on Fangraphs Audio whenever he w- whenever he wants to appear on it. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. I, well, I would have you. I don't. Um, I haven't announced this officially, but it's sort of a kind of a secondary project. For for the podcast, which you may have noticed is running more frequently now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have noticed. Yeah. Um, it's a sort of a secret project for us, or not a secret, but a secondary project to to kind of develop a contact or two with each, uh, the, you know, uh, people who cover all the all the teams ideally, and that's yeah. easier for some teams than others. But it's it's great it's great to have that excuse to have you on because uh, you really are one of the. I think you're one of the shining lights of baseball coverage right now. I'm not. I'm, well, not, I'm not just blowing wind up your skirt, which you're definitely wearing right now. What teams have you had the hardest time finding a uh, reliable contact with? Oh, um, what teams? You know, I don't know. I guess it would be trying to find. Well, I don't want to say too much about that necessarily, be, because it's not. It's not my intention to offend anyone. It's just like. If I sit down with all three teams and like, oh, like who do I know? That would also probably be good on air. Like I haven't tried to find someone for the Arizona Diamondbacks yet, but I think that Nick Nick Piacora, is that how you say his name? That's how you spell his name. Yeah. If you if if uh were we in Italy, it would be Piacoro, right? And so we'll pretend like that's it. I, I have a sense that um that he would great. be yes, yeah. I think he would be great. I think he would be great if he if he would condescend to be on Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm. Um, he probably would. I I imagine he's very condescending. 
Yes. Yeah, I think uh, if he would do it, that would be great. And I think that uh, Chase's argument... I don't, have, I don't think he's condescending, necessarily. You don't think he's condescending? I don't know him. Yeah. I've seen him on air. I've seen him on, uh, on Arizona Diamondbacks broadcast. Uh-huh. Uh, and he uh, handled himself well, and he was talking, I think, at that time about Trevor Bauer, probably, because it was just after the, um, the amateur draft. And, and uh, I believe he was talking about the new, the new, uh, the draft class for the Diamondbacks, which was excellent. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he was great in that in that capacity, as well. So yeah, so I think he would be great. Um, I think you know, and there are some teams where we have an embarrassment of riches. Uh, like a lot of the uh, Amazing Avenue guys are pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, for the Mariners, Dave Cameron and, and Jeff Sullivan. Are great. There are a bunch of great Giants guys, as you know, from a, uh, as a resident of the West Coast. Yes. Um, but part of it's just not necessarily kn- knowing knowing everyone. Oh, do you have do you have anyone to suggest no. that? No, I was just curious. Okay. I I uh, I also have had the experience where I've uh, I've realized that like I I I don't I don't follow a large number of people on on Twitter, and yet I've noticed that I follow like. Ten percent of the people I follow are Twins fans, which just happened. You know, I don't, I don't know how it happened. I'm not interested in the Twins particularly any more than I'm interested in the in the White Sox. I don't think I follow anybody who's a White Sox guy. So it's, um, I, I've just noticed that strange little pockets uh, form of people in my life for each team. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, uh, right, and and I actually follow quite a few Twins guys myself. Well, Aaron Gleeman, of course, um, he writes for. Hardball talk, but he is a national. I mean, he has a national presence, but he's a Twins fan. Uh, the common man and, and Bill at the Platoon Advantage, they're both Twins fans. I think I maybe follow Parker Parker Hagman. Yeah, yeah Parker. Parker over the backy and uh, Dan Wade, another guy. Oh yes, who writes? Yeah, right. Who writes for uh, for Rotographs, of course. He, he's a Twins fan too. I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. so yeah, there you are. That's that's a bunch of people. Uh, right there. Who, who, you know, are maybe more entertaining? They, they skew, they, they skew irreverent. Yes. Yes. Uh, do you have any desire to talk about the Angels? Because I have some questions about them. I have desire to answer my questions. Yeah. Okay. Good. So Albert Pujols, they signed Albert Pujols to, I think, a 10, 10 years, two hundred fifty-four million. Is that that's right? That's right. And it's, I mean, this is going to have to be the first question. It's, it's, it's not a strange move. In the sense that Albert Pujols is really good and has a good chance every year, you know, at least for the near in the near future, to be the best player in baseball. It's a little bit strange given the roster construction of the Angels before that signing because they had uh, they have in Mark Trumbo a player who uh, profiles, I think you could say, w- um, without going out on a limb, um, as a league average first baseman, and they also have in Kenji Morales a player who before being injured and, and suffering some kind of extended uh, an extended absence due to that injury, ha- was having a promising career. So even if you account for DH, and but then you also get into you know where Bobby Abreu would play, you have a real logjam there. So from what you understand, you could be descriptive and prescript or prescriptive about how, how this is going to happen in 2012 and beyond. But I'm interested for for your thoughts on on that corner situation and the DH situation. Well, I think first to start with the reason that they did it, even though they had that position, you, you know, like you noted, more or less filled, 
they had an interesting team where they were extremely balanced, but they didn't really have much, um, uh, you know, th- they didn't have any stars. Everybody on their team, basically, every position at their, uh, in their lineup, other than catcher, before the Ionetta trade, was roughly like a two to four win player. And that makes it hard to upgrade in a way because you're not starting from zero anywhere. You're gonna, you're gonna have wasted resources no matter where you upgrade. And it's a lot harder to upgrade from, um, you know, when you're starting at three than when you're starting at zero. So I think that, um, they didn't intend to do much to the lineup this year just because there weren't really that many ways to upgrade. People were talking about Aramis Ramirez as a, as a way to get some power into the lineup, but they already have a third baseman who more or less replicates Aramis Ramirez's value overall. Um, and, uh, and unless they were going to punt Vernon Wells, which they weren't, and even if they did, they'd have Mike Trout, there wasn't really uh, any place for them to upgrade unless it was Pools. And I think that they kind of realized that their lineup is balanced, but it's not very good, and they wanted to do more to it. And the options were limited. So I think that's why they ended up going to him. It's the one way that they could very clearly upgrade at a position. And um, it obviously creates some redundancies. I don't see any way around making a trade or more. They have eight guys right now for five spots. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you, I, I just I don't see how they can avoid a trade. I also don't know that they're going to be comfortable keeping a $170 million payroll. The the plan was 140 and they basically said, screw it, to get pools. But, I mean, I don't know that they necessarily uh, have that money and want to spend all that money right now. So I think that they'll make a trade. I don't think they're done. It's three and a half months till the season starts. And, um, you know, Trumbo has I, – I think he's about an average player, and he's got a lot of value because of that. He's – um, you know, he's free for the next two years and under team control through 2016. Um, but he's not really the kind of player that Jerry DePoto has been stressing. I mean, Jerry DePoto has really put an emphasis on uh, count control and drawing walks and on-base percentage. And so it doesn't surprise me that he wouldn't want Trumbo as much as uh, Tony Regan's wanted Trumbo and maybe as much as Sosha. Uh, would have liked Trumbo. Do do you foresee? You know, you mentioned that the prospects of a trade, um, you know, before before the 2012 season begins. Do you see any seeds of those sorts of trades happening? I haven't heard anything uh, about it. I haven't. I nobody has gotten into it yet, as far as I know. So I don't think there is anything realistic to attach ourselves to. I I definitely think that they still have things that they would like to accomplish. One of those things might be salary relief um, and packaging him with a bad contract, perhaps. Um, and one of those things might be the bullpen. So um, it's I, I don't really know exactly what they'll do. I think they'll do something. I just can't imagine them going into the season with, um, you know, with these eight guys at five positions and knowing that Trumbo is going to be on the bench most of the time, knowing that Trout is – completely blocked the whole season. I mean, it's bad enough that they're looking at starting him in Salt Lake this season, but if he, uh, finished, I mean, he might, he's probably their second best player right now. So, uh, it's kind of, well, let's talk about Trout because, because the pool hole signing suggests that the team wants to, is very interested in winning, right? 
However, not playing Mike Trout is antithetical to that proposition, right? Because Trout, as you mentioned, probably is, you know, given a full season, probably is one of their best players, at least, you know, at least on the offensive side. So how do those reconcile themselves? How do those two ideas? Are are the Angels trying to win or not trying to win, or are they just dealing with the realities of the situation? Well, they, they're going to get the same amount of Trout no matter what they do, more or less. I mean, not not exactly, but they're going to get six years out of him and until he's a free agent. And so it doesn't make uh, – it's not it's – not, terribly stupid to shift those six years a little closer to his prime. Uh, so I can sort of understand that incentive. But I just think that they um, they don't have a place that they don't have anybody that they're that they're willing to bench for him. They don't see him necessarily being as good or reliable as any of the people he's going to to send to the bench. I mean they're they're just not going to bench Vernon Wells. They probably should, but they're they're not going to do it right now. They're not going to do it yet, and they're they're not going to bench Borges, and they're not going to bench Hunter. Um, and uh, they have now they have Morales, Trumbo, and Abreu for DH. So it's just it's really a matter. Of, like I think that they would acknowledge that he's good enough to play in the majors, but he's not so good that he's forcing the issue right now. I mean, he is he's only going to be twenty. And it's not a it's not a point yet where the Angels have to act. I mean, they're probably sacrificing, I don't know, like uh, you know, a win or a half a win or something like that. Um, but it's not quite like uh, you know, I don't know, like maybe like the Giants with Buster Posey and the Miners a couple years ago. Right. It does make you wonder, though, have the Angels considered how um, keeping Trout. At AAA, how that might affect my auto new fantasy team. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they've thought about that. I'm sure they have. Yeah, they've got every angle, Carson. Right. Now, uh, what has it been like? You know, what is your sense of um, Jerry Depoto's mission? You mentioned perhaps an increased emphasis on um, controlling the strike zone, and you know how maybe a player like Mark Trumbo uh, would not necessarily fit into that particular profile you get a sense of of what else jerry depoto might bring to the uh, to the gm position that tony regan's didn't or or how he might be similar well every move he's made i mean first off i think just in a very general sense you can say that he would not have traded mike napoli for vernon wells and he would not have signed fernando rodney for two years and 12 million dollars um so just like right off the top, you can say that the most egregious moves that the Angels made uh, under Tony Regans would not happen again. He's they've they've at least cleared that bar. Uh, so that's step one. But he's been very uh, he's been very talkative about his philosophy that that analytics are a key part of a front office in a way that the Angels previously not only really wouldn't talk about. But in a lot of ways would discard and um, and distance themselves from. Um, they asked him uh, in one interview whether he had uh, established a, a you know an, basically an analytics department, and he said, "Well, baseball ops that's 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 our analytics department. That's our whole department now. Everybody that he that we've hired, he said, has an analytics edge to them." And so I just think that they, I mean, it's hard to say he's been in the job for a month, but um, he traded, you know, he traded for Chris Iannetta 
Uh, Ionette is a very particular kind of player. Um, when he traded Jeff Mathis, I don't know how much he was able to dictate who he got back for Jeff Mathis. It might have just been, you know, who are you going to kick off your 40 man? But Brad Mills is a, uh, is a, uh, a, a, you know, a short guy who throws soft but has good strikeout and walk numbers in the minors. Um, so that's a particular kind of guy. Um, I just don't think he's made any moves yet that discourage the idea that he's, um, he, he places value in the sort of, um, modern statistics, whatever those mean. I, it's hard to say. I mean, it's hard to say. You could, you could watch your guy as GM for 10 years and still not really know what he thinks or he's doing because 95% of this stuff takes place behind the scenes. Um, so to try to draw any real conclusions from him in a month and a half, uh, is, is going to come up short. But just based on what he says and, and what he's done so far, it's been very encouraging. You get a sense of of how uh, Sosha and Depoto might get along, because uh, uh, um, I mean, Sosha definitely is at least you know he's he's sort of a, the face of that club um, in a yeah. in a way that probably Tony Regan's wasn't. Yeah. And he's had a lot of success, and and of course there's the there's the possibility that somehow Sosha at all uh, are pretty good at extracting from the talent of their ball club, you know even a couple extra wins than we might expect. I don't think I have a sense of that. I don't think anybody does because nobody's been around the club all that much, it, it being the offseason and the Angels being a, um, you know, a fairly uh, reserved organization when it comes to broadcasting their, their intentions anyway. But, I mean, I, I think that it... The, the fact that they traded Jeff Mathis is, is seen as a sign that Depoto is, um, is more independent than Regan's was. And that could very easily be, I, I think though that Sosha himself had moved beyond Mathis, um, to a large degree as the year went on. And he had kind of looked for ways to get Mathis out of the lineup. He played Conger for the majority of May before Conger, uh, collapsed, uh, his performance collapsed. And he played Bobby Wilson for the majority of August. Um, after uh, really, it, it didn't even take much. Um, it, it basically, Bobby Wilson catches Irvin Santana's no hitter and starts the majority of the games for the next month. Uh, so it didn't take much provocation there. So I think that uh, it's it's hard to exactly draw a conclusion that um, Sosha is is out of the loop. I think that Sosha will always be more in the loop than most managers are, maybe more than all managers are. Um, but, um, I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's been no indication that Depoto is being pushed to do anything yet. And all the moves he's made, like I said, are, um, they're moves that you wouldn't necessarily have seen the Angels make a year ago. So whether it's a, a matter of Depoto having more independence from Sosha or if it's a matter of Sosha having his own kind of change of heart about roster construction. Um, the Angels are clearly on a better track. Switching gears, do you – I know that the Angels signed a television contract, um, and I know that at some level signing that television contract has probably at some level affected their ability to spend uh, for the for the better. Do, do you know more – about the television contract that I just said, because that's the extent of my knowledge. 
Well, I don't think the contract directly coincides to the pool hole signing, um, which is a little bit how it portrayed just because of the timing of things. But, I mean, we've been hearing, I think Peter Gammons actually kind of broke the news that it was impending something like two years ago, uh, or at least a year ago. And the $3 billion number, which is what is being reported, is, um, is, it's the same number that Gammons had reported. I think it's Gammons. I could be fouling up some of these details. Let's but just say it's Gammons. Let's just say that. It feels good. I don't think anybody begrudges Gammons um, uh, a scoop that he didn't get. He can have it. Um, the So it's not as though this came out of nowhere. They've been negotiating it. I think it was pretty close. And it's, um, I mean, it's probably market rates. They probably knew what they were going to get just by analyzing the market. Um, it's a lot of money. I don't know how it breaks down, to be totally honest. I don't know. It's $100 million more per year than they were getting. I don't know if that $100 million comes with lost revenue in other ways or if it comes with added expenses. I honestly have no idea. And it's also, it takes them 20 years into the future. So $150 million per year is a huge amount now. But if you adjust it for inflation by the end, it's it's not quite, you know, it's not quite as... Amazing. Can you tell us the amount when adjusted for inflation? Can you just, can you just tell us right now? Yeah, no. Can you just, uh, that it's, uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? Adjusted for inflation over 20 years? No, uh, I, I never adjusted. Actually, just the other day I adjusted for something. I adjusted for inflation for the first time in my life. I would guess 70 million in equivalent dollars. I don't know. Do it. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah, sure. Let's let's say let's I, that. that's you know what actually though that's that's the number that Peter Gammons just tweeted seventy. Peter Gammons is tweeting the adjusted for inflation numbers. Literally uh, this second. Literally this second. I'm getting it all from Peter Gammons. Smart guy. Okay. Um, yeah. And also, I think that it's it's also hard to say because I think that uh, probably every team gets a big bump in their cable when they sign a new deal. So it's sort of just like whoever signs it gets the big raised right then but then another team like the Mariners will get their own contract the you know the Yankees will eventually negotiate their whatever they do with yes and I mean all every team's going to get a big boost at some point it's just that the Angels happened in the last couple weeks and it's it's for 20 years or something I, that that's the part that seems um striking to me for the length uh, of it, but I don't know. Then again, I guess I don't particularly well, know. The Rangers, yeah, the Rangers just signed one for 20 years about a year or two ago as well. Right, okay, yeah. So I don't know. Their their previous one was only, I believe their previous one was only 10. So you're right, 20 years is double to 10. There you go. Twice as much. There you go, adjusting for inflation. <laughs> uh, you know, I was going to ask you about C.J. Wilson. You got something okay. to say about, about that, like, 30 seconds or less? I'm just surprised at how quickly his stock dropped. He was, it seemed to me that, um, he started the offseason as clearly the best pitching, um, uh, option available. And by the end, I was reading, it seemed like every day somebody saying they would rather have Mark Burley than CJ Wilson. And I think that's nuts. CJ Wilson's really good. He's been basically as good as Jared Weaver over the last two years. And um, it's surprised me that they got him for such a good deal. I think he's a, he's a good addition. I I, would, I don't worry about. I mean, you don't want to give five years to a pitcher, but if the average annual value is low enough, then sure. And it, it seems like a bargain. They are going to have a a good rotation this year. They're going to have a good rotation for the next at least two or three years. Because you have what we uh, Heron Weaver Wilson. 
Yeah, and, and Weaver just signed his five-year extension. Wilson's for the next five. Heron's signed through 2014 at, at very friendly terms. And then Santana, I'm not, you know, I don't really like Santana as much as the Angels want me to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, he's whatever. And he's, uh, they have a club option for 2013, so they can keep this together for at least two years. Hey, uh, DePoto's actually was interim GM when the Diamondbacks traded Heron to the Angels. Yeah. At that time, that looked a little bit absurd, that deal, because Heron was just playing, uh, he was just getting unlucky. It appeared at the time, and, and his time with the Angels has, you know, probably suggested that's the case. It actually turns out that some of those Angels prospects uh, might be decent, though. Well, they yeah, they are, but I mean, I, they are decent, Skaggs in particular, but I don't think they're, we, we knew that. We knew Skaggs was great when they traded him. It's just that they traded three and a half years of Heron. It's not like this was a deadline deal. They traded three and a half years of Heron at really friendly terms, and all they got was basically one A minus prospect and one B minus prospect. And then Joe Saunders, who was, I thought, a non tender candidate at the time and is now being non tendered. So I still think, I mean, I, I think that maybe people have reevaluated it because Skaggs has continued to develop, but um, to me, it still looks like an insane trade. I don't, I don't know what he was thinking except that. Maybe he had to. Well, Maybe. yeah, right. I mean, one could suppose that he had orders to cut. Um, exactly. He's the interim GM. He's not the GM. Right. And, of course, the Diamondbacks, uh, it's obviously a different division, but the Diamondbacks made the playoffs this year. So. Yeah, they did. I guess you can't rule it. Uh, you know, if, if you make the playoffs, you did something right. So, uh, hey, listen, Sam, I, I love talking with you. Thanks. Yeah. Um, this is always good. How, well, like, what's what's the most you would come on to the show? Like how often? <laughs> like what do you think? Like uh, like not daily. That would be. I mean, I understand. That'd be a lot for you. You know, Maybe. if uh, it, I don't know, it's hard to say. If 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 no Carson, if nobody was listening, I would gladly talk to you every day. Oh, curious. But for some reason, having an audience puts you makes it more stressful for you. Yeah, I would say. I would say so. Having an audience and. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't know that every people people would would surely come to hate me um, if we did this every day. You think that you would uh, suffer from overexposure? There might be an overexposure element. It might just be a Joe Morgan factor where you know I run out of things to say, but I have to keep talking. You know, that's that's actually a, a thing that's that's certainly occurred to me, not just from doing the podcast, but also just just from maybe from getting older. You realize. Mm-hmm. For broadcasters, it's it's a little bit of an uphill battle. Um, and and now that I've also started having like many more guests, I realized that it's not everyone's skill set to just talk, you know. And 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 that and also just merely talking is a skill in itself. Just to be able to continue talking. Yeah. Yeah, that's a skill. I mean, to to be able to produce content. And and maybe it's it's also a positive to not hold yourself to high, uh, to a to a high standard because if you do then maybe then you just go silent and no one wants that. No, I think it's the same with with writing as well. You 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 want everything you write to be great, but the fact of the matter is that you really have to write a lot of things in order to sort of stumble upon the ones that are better than the rest. They don't. You, it's it's basically impossible to edit yourself down to only your best work. You have to just keep writing, and keep writing until the good stuff emerges. Right? You ever get tired? You ever get tired of your own voice? 
When, uh, uh, my I'm, literal voice or my my writing voice? Your writing voice. No, I don't know if that sounds bad, but no, I don't. I get tired of. Um, there are times where I can't find that voice, and I get tired of the uh, the effort of trying to get it there. I mean, there are definitely things where I write that I think uh, that doesn't that doesn't feel right. But no, I don't really. Okay. I mean, I don't get tired of it either. I think you're right. But I was just curious. I know that happens to me sometimes, certainly, where I just, you know, I'm writing something and I think, I'm shrill. I'm shrill and and why do I do this to people and myself? But Well, do you feel, is this just like in the moments after it's written or if you went back after a month and read it, do you think that you would look at it and say, oh, well, no, actually, that wasn't, the writing wasn't the issue. It was just my mood in the moment. Um, yeah, I guess, it, you know, it could be that, you you know, there's always that weird experience where it's like you get very intimate with a piece while you're writing it and then you publish it and, you know, you Google yourself for like the next 45 minutes and check Twitter to see how many times it's retweeted and then mm-hmm. you then you're done. You never even think about it again. That's, yeah. that's what happens for me, you know, and so uh, so that's that's a strange that's a strange experience. Maybe maybe not everyone goes through it like that. But I think you and I have talked about um the frailty of, of of looking looking oneself up on the internet. Yeah, yeah. It's disgusting. It's horrifying. It's really bad for your spirit. Unless you're John Boyce. Oh, do, what does he do? Does he have a thing he does? No, I don't know. I I, I don't know what he does, but um, uh, I mean, presumably when he hits publish and then does the looking himself up on the internet thing, it's just hour after hour of affirmation. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I guess people really, uh, people really like him, huh? His work. It, did, it does seem that way. Do you do you think, you think he'd make a, a good guest on the podcast? I've never heard him speak. I don't know. That's if he the does danger. This. See, that's the thing. That's the danger. I, and I, yeah. I'm sure he would. He's got, he's a reverend. He's got a lot of good ideas. But you never know. You never know no, with the his, people. His his uh his game day chats though um, during the season, the uh, most important game of of all time chats. Uh, I mean, there are people who are who are good writers, and then there are people who are quick. And he he is both. He's he both. was extremely quick in those chats. Okay, yeah. And well, quick. He never yeah. panicked. He didn't seem to panic um, in any way doing it live. So, I mean, I certainly would like to hear it. Yeah, well, let's do that. Hey, guess who I had? I got a couple good guests coming up. I got. Um, I just today did a a long podcast with Fernando Perez, former outfielder for the Rays, and poet. And poet, yes. Uh, he, we did a, we did an interview. Uh, he's in China, and we did, we did an interview about almost an hour long. Great stuff. Was um, it in Was it in meter? No, 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 no. Totally free verse. Yeah, yeah, totally. Did you, uh, did you talk about poetry at all? Oh, we did briefly. Yeah, I mean, you know, part of it, we really uh, ran the gamut. He's an interesting guy. Um, and uh, we did that. And also tomorrow, you may not be familiar with him, um, but he's an editor for the New Yorker. His name's Ben Greenman. He's written uh-huh. some very entertaining books, and uh, he's a. This is a real bang up week. That's what it is. Is Ben is Ben Ben Greenman? You said yeah, Ben Greenman. Yeah. Is he uh, does he have a, a sports connection? He um, he tweets a lot about sports. Almost, uh, in fact, almost exclusively about sports. Um, he, even though he, um, I don't know that he writes a lot about it. Um, we'll talk about that. You know, I mean, because I I'm not familiar. We, you know he's, he's prolific and um so so i you know i haven't necessarily found my way to everything he's written but he's also very funny and i assume he's funny uh in speech as well i have to assume that 
You should, uh, speaking of sports in the New Yorker, you should have Ben McGrath on. Ben McGrath, that name sounds familiar. I feel like at least uh, maybe last year or a year and a half ago, he did a piece on uh, maybe sabermetric explosion or something like this. He does. Uh, he has made he has made baseball a, kind of a, one of his beats at the New Yorker, which is interesting because they didn't really cover baseball uh, other than Roger Angel, other than his his sort of yearly wrap up. And uh, so Ben does a couple pieces a year. He's he's written about Boris. He's written about Manny. He's written about uh, David Ortiz. He just wrote about Sam Fold. And um, it's my wife's only exposure to baseball, so her favorite players now are, are Sam Fold, David Ortiz, and Manny Ramirez. She she loves the guys after his after his pieces. Yeah, well, people there are some people uh, who experience culture through the New Yorker, and I don't necessarily mean that as a as a bad way. But I've made a friend here in Madison who has uh, every week he has like new things to talk about. He's like, hey, let me tell you about uh, the. Uh, what a quantum computer is. I'm like, all right. And then he says it. Yeah, I've noticed that my conversations with my father over the years have gone from um, from actual conversation to the two of us simply uh, recounting what we've heard on Fresh Air and what we've read in The New Yorker. It's, it's, uh, it's a simpler way of talking, but it's not really quite as fulfilling. As what, talking about feelings or whatever? Yeah, or actually trying to generate ideas of our own. Nah, that's right. But we, you know, it gets so exhausting. Yeah, it's true. Well, after you, get, I mean, once you're our age, you don't really, you don't have the idea generator uh, uh, switch in your brain anymore. It is amazing, and, and I'm sure that uh, I'm I'm way less sad than I will be in the future. But it is amazing how um, one's energy levels drop so precipitously. After those sort of like early 20s years, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it really is startling. Um, I'm very content, um, barely moving all day. You know, <laughs> I have way more energy to do the things I need to do, but way less energy to enterprise. Interesting, right? I mean, I don't. I I can work constantly in a way I never could. Um, but to think, uh, to actually think. Um, Think something through that I don't have to uh, for more than two minutes is just completely exhausting. My brain won't my brain won't go there anymore. It just <laughs> it's got it's got the next task and nothing else in it. That is curious. You do uh, well. Maybe you gain a new sense of urgency just taking care of yourself. That's part of adulthood, right? Is just recognizing that the there's no the security blanket <laughs> becomes thinner and thinner. And you, especially you have a child, and uh, God forbid, you know, if you uh, really effed up, I mean, you'd destroy a, a whole other life. Yeah. Yeah, although your wife seems responsible, so it would probably be just you failing miserably. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it could be. I think another part of it is that um, you're, I think we're, we, you reach a point where you're really good at calculating the amount of effort any task is going to take. And so if you have an idea, if a, if a brilliant idea comes to your, into your mind, you can instantly calculate whether that's uh, an idea that's <laughs> going to take 40 minutes to execute or three weeks. And you just throw the three week ones away. You just yeah. lose that vision. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. And, I mean, don't even get me started on the three year ones. I mean, when's the last time you thought I'm going to start a novel? Well, I never thought that. Oh, see, I did for a long time. Oh, now fool. It's, what a fool. I don't finish it. Why? Why go there? 
Well, the the point about that is, what? So what? Even say you do write your novel, that's that's you're not even halfway at that point. Just yeah. because you have a novel, you know, you haven't. What what sort of deal did you sign for your novel? Are you right. ready to do all the appropriate, you know, uh, sort of PR support for it? And that's you know, you know, that's uh, going around all these different places. And then so what? So you go through that cycle. It's not like every time you walk into a room, people are just going to start <laughs> applauding. You know what I mean? There goes Sam Miller, a novelist. <laughs> yeah, that's not what happens. No, you, now you have yeah. to write another stupid novel. And you have to yeah. go through the whole cycle again. Now, I'm not saying that God, you know, people should stop writing novels, but that's why people – that's one of the reasons why people don't write novels, you know, because uh, it's like – it's just a cycle. So unless you're really good at it and you can take some joy from all the parts of it or yeah. it's just like something you absolutely need to do and not just want to do for the sake of, you know, whatever kind of glory comes along with novel writing, then forget about it. That's so true. You know, I had never thought of it that way, but that's actually, it's, it's like, uh, when a team signs a free agent and, and all the fans get excited or when the team doesn't sign a free agent and all the fans get pissed off. Yeah. And yet it's basically a 50% chance that deal works out and a 50% chance it doesn't. You know, you don't even really know what you're celebrating. And I think you, it never occurred to me that the payoff for a novel is quite likely disappointment. <laughs> you are quite likely going to, even if you publish this novel, it is quite likely going to be ripped by by smart people. I mean, Philip Roth writes a novel and then has to read people saying horrible things about it. Right, and the thing is, like, even if they say great things, I don't see unless unless right. you really enjoy the experience of writing the novel. That is the thing. Yeah. If you really like writing the novel. Then right. go for the novel, but but nobody does. Nobody really likes writing the novel. There has to be. You have to have something a little bit wrong with you to go through that process. Yeah. Um, because you're seeking some kind of fulfillment that you're not getting elsewhere. And fine, I guess if you find it in in writing novels, that's fine. But I find that the most satisfying things, you know, like but you're talking about like fulfilling a role essentially, in you know, in your like with your work life. That's because you know, you know, like, and you mentioned this, you know the parameters, right? You know what could possibly, you know, you know what the upside is, you know what the downside is. And the upside's pretty good. The upside is you keep your job, which you'd like. You keep, you get to say something about baseball, and, you know, it helps you. And then afterwards, you can, you know, spend time with your family or friends or, you know, doing something you enjoy doing. I, I think ultimately, yeah, glory shmory. That's my opinion. Mm hmm. You know, I, yeah. I, I just want some a couple of nice friends and and uh, and that's it. Yeah, well, I know what you mean. Yeah. All right, Sam Miller. Let's let. Uh, so we'll see you tomorrow. But uh, before that, we'll bid you do today. It's been really again, like I say, and like I said, I think 20 minutes ago. It's, I really do enjoy having you on. Thanks, Carson. I I enjoy. Uh, I also like being here. I'm a big fan of your work some of the time. No, that's the yeah. Even just one of the time would have been enough for me. If I could just make one Sam Miller happy one time, <laughs> it'll all have been worth it. <laughs> all all right. right, all right, get off the podcast. Take care. All right, all right. That's Sam Miller. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Bye.